The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Would you classify yourself as average? The truth is for many, if not most people in the world today and even in the church today, the statement average is good would be a pretty good description of how they're focused and how their life operates. Our society has come to believe that if we're doing at least as well as everyone around us, then we must be fine if we're just average. In fact, there's a commercial on television that recently has started running that confirms or at least gives precedent to this very thought. Let's watch this. It's out there. It's that voice in your head making sure you sleep through that yoga class, convincing you that one donut hole couldn't possibly lead to another. Average. Average blames the camera for those extra 10 pounds and sets the treadmill on mosey or stroll or loiter. Need an excuse? Average has them all. Skip the gym. It'll probably be too crowded anyway. Average. Yeah, take it easy there, fella. Average has memory issues. I forgot to work out. I forgot to work out. And memory issues. I work out. It's crowning achievement. Everyone gets a trophy. Average is good. Average is good. No, average is average. You can beat it. Average is average. So how about you now? Are you average? And if you would say that you are average, are you happy being average? Well, let me kind of give you a picture of what it means to be average in America today. The average men's, man's height in America is five foot nine and a half inches. The average height of a woman in America is five foot three and three quarter inches. The average weight of a man is 194.7 pounds in America today. Oh, that's not good, is it? (laughs) The average woman's weight in America today is 164.7 pounds today. In 2013, the average income of an individual in a week in the United States of America was $786. The average number of children in in homes that have children today, and I don't know how you figure this, but it's 1.86 kids in the average home in America today. So I'd like to see that 86% of a child somewhere. The average hours of sleep a night per person is 6.8 hours. However, 40% of people get six hours or less of sleep and 59% of people get seven hours or more of sleep. So I ask again, are you average? Maybe you are. 
But there is something happening today that should be a great cause of concern for us. In today's world, there seems to be a decrease in the desire to be more than average and an increase in the desire or attitude that says, I will just get by with how things are going. People seem to settle for good enough today more than at any time in our nation's history. And this observation can also be seen in the church today because we talk a lot about all the things that we want to do and be as a church. But the truth of the matter is, is we're unwilling to commit to what needs to be done in order for those good things to happen. We want someone else to take care of it. Oh, it's a great idea, but I want someone else to actually do it. Rather than make the necessary changes in our lives and in our attitudes that are required to facilitate those better things, we just settle for average or good enough. As a Christian, are you average? Let me give you a few stats of what it means to be average as a Christian. Over a person's adult life only, let's say 35 to 40 years long, in that time span of being an adult, you will attend more than 1,600 church services. You will hear more than at least 1,600, if not more than 1,600 sermons. You will sing over 20,000 worship songs. You will participate in over 10,000 public prayers. And during the span of 35 to 40 years as a Christian, you will lead nobody to Christ. That's the average. So are you the average Christian? Is being the average Christian good? This morning, I want to take just a few moments and spend it on what it means to be average or to be more than average when it comes to missions in the church. If you haven't figured out this morning is about missions, you've been somewhere else for the last however long we've been in this room. Uh, As children of the Most High God, in order to do missions the way that God wants them done, we must be more than average. Average is not good when it comes to being God's people on mission. The term that I'm going to use to describe being more than average, and you'll hear this a few, th- a few times in the next few moments, is the term globally focused. This is what God calls us to be. So let's take just a few minutes and talk about how do we become a globally focused church? Well, the first thing we have to do to become globally focused is we have to capture God's passion for people. Before a person can become concerned about reaching others for Christ, they have to, must absolutely understand how deeply God loves people and desires a relationship with them. John 3.16 is the perfect verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That is the perfect description of the passion of God for humanity. But there's a little bit more to it because the Bible also describes the gift that Jesus gave as making us an inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven because of the sacrifice of Christ. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into, the li- into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, author and pastor Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, had some very interesting thoughts on that inheritance that can really drive home how big a deal God's passion for people really is. Chan said, and I quote, the very fact that a holy, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful, fair, and just God loves you and me is nothing short of astonishing. The wildest part is that Jesus doesn't have to love us. His being is utterly complete and perfect apart from humanity. He doesn't need me or you, yet he wants us. That's passion. He chooses us. He even considers us his inheritance. The greatest knowledge we can ever have is knowing that God treasures us. The holy creator sees you as his glorious inheritance. Now think about inheritance in today's society. If you're a parent, I'm not. I have really nobody to leave an inheritance to, but many of you do. And we put great value on what we leave for our kids. I have a father and a mother and they have an inheritance for their four boys. And it's a big deal. You know, I'll tell you, it's land. And there's been days that selling that lamb would have benefited my mother and father dramatically, but they've chosen to hang on to it as an inheritance to their children because of its value. We've even told them, sell it. (laughs) You know, it's okay. But inheritance is important. There's an irony, though, as we think about this, though. Even though God doesn't need us, He still wants us. And the irony is, is that we, on the other hand, desperately need God, but we don't often want him at all. We just choose to ignore him. We settle for average in our relationship with God. We cannot capture God's passion until we understand his passion for us. Then we can capture it and have that passion for others. Number two, we need to tap into God's power. Acts, the first part of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As believers, God has given us supernatural resources through his spirit to carry out the work of missions. But we often fail to tap into that power. It's kind of like the man who made his living chopping trees. Except his whole life he chopped trees with an axe. Now, if you've ever chopped trees with an ax, you know that's not a fun job. Between the blisters and the sore back and the sore shoulders and the, it's not fun. (laughs) But this is how he made his living. And he could chop three or four or five trees a day. Big, you know, big trees, a lot of work. Well, one day he was in the store and guess what he saw? A chainsaw. And he got so excited, this is a piece of equipment, and the salesman just went on and on and on about what all it does and how it would increase his profit because he could not chop five trees down a day, he could chop 50 trees down a day, and it would just be astronomical for him. Well, he got all excited, and he bought the saw, and when he got home, he had to go right then. So he took off to the woods that afternoon to see how it worked. 
The next day he went back to the store, threw the saw upon the counter, and told the man, the salesman, that it was a piece of junk, that he could hardly even cut one tree down the day he bought the saw. Well, the salesman's all confused right now because he doesn't know what to do. He goes over, he checks the saw out, everything looks like it's right. He takes a little choke button and mashes it and gets the gas flow and pulls the cord. Boom, it cranks up, runs perfectly. Well, the man that bought the saw turned to the salesman and said, well, what was that sound? You know, saws don't work, electric saws don't work good like this. You know, you can't cut trees too good till you turn it on. The man had power in his hands and he didn't even know how to use it. Didn't realize what he had in his possession. And we Christians are often guilty of doing the same thing. We don't truly understand what we have in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the foundations of missions is not money? It's not. Did you know that the foundation of missions is not manpower? It's not. It's not even methodology, how we go about doing it. The foundations of missions is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we have that power and we allow that power to run through us and in us, the world could be changed. Being a missionary and doing missions is not dependent upon your personality. It's not dependent on your persuasiveness. It's not dependent on your position. It's dependent on the power of God. And every Christian has that power through the Holy Spirit. We just simply need to decide to turn the power on and wholeheartedly allow the Spirit to work His power in and through us. And once we decide to allow Him to do that, He's going to take care of everything else. So, <clears throat> we can only be on mission. We can only truly be globally focus the way God calls us to be when we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything short of that is just us. So we need God's Spirit working in us. Number three, we need to commit to God's plan. Now that we understand God is passionate for humanity and we understand that we need to uh, tap into the power, we need to understand the purpose of the power. Jeremiah 29 11 is a verse that many of you know. It says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Well, God's got a plan. He knows what his plan. Would God make a plan for no reason? Don't think so. There's a purpose for God's plan. And when we look at Acts chapter 1, the second part of verse 8, we see what the purpose of God's plans. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the purpose of the plan. And it doesn't say we should be, could be, might be. It says we are when the Holy Spirit is upon us. God's plan is to use us as his witnesses to reach this lost and dying world. The plan isn't for us to be the lawyers. The plan isn't for us to be the prosecuting attorney. The plan isn't for us to be the judge. The plan is for us to be the witness. The witness doesn't have but one job. It's a pretty easy job. Just tell what you know. Tell what you've seen. It's pretty easy. And as God's witnesses, we don't have to persuade, coerce, or manipulate anybody into the kingdom. We are simply to witness about what we've seen and heard and let God take care of it. And he will. 
So the simple question for you at this point is, is how committed of a witness are you being? How missional are you being in your life? To fulfill the task of a witness, what do you have to do? He has to talk. Could you imagine a witness on a witness stand in a courtroom that never opens their mouth to say anything? It would be kind of hard to prove their point and give any kind of good testimony as to what's trying to be communicated because the witness doesn't open their mouth. Without talking, he can never really convey his testimony. But in the church today, we hear people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'm just going to try to live my life in a way that's an example to those around me. Hear me clearly. That's not a bad thing to do. You should. We should live like Christ. No two ways about it. However, these verses don't say that those with the gift of evangelism will be his witnesses. It says those that the Holy Spirit has come upon will be his witnesses. And honestly, do we actually believe that being a witness in our world of influence is wrapped completely up in just how we live every day? I don't think so. Think about it this way. How many Christians would there be in the world if the disciples never opened their mouth one time to say what Christ did? If the Apostle Paul had an experience on the Emmaus Road, I think it's Emmaus Road, is that the right word? Damascus Road. I knew of one of them. Thank you, Pastor. Damascus Road, yet he never opened his mouth. How many Christians would there be? Might be just Paul. We won't ever think about that, do we? Oh, well, they got it all going. It's going. Well, it's not done. The work's not done. They never were a witness verbally. Nobody gets saved, I don't think. I think we have to talk. Think about this. How many more Christians would there be and could there be if you and I would just open our mouth and talk? But we negate to do that. See, being a witness is what we do. Being on mission is what we do all the time. Every moment of every day. Missions is not about a trip. It's about being Christians. It's about being who God called us to be every moment of every day. And I'm not trying to suggest at this point by talking that we just simply invite people to church, which is good. We actually just did a, a Sunday school contact emphasis in our adult Sunday school classes over the last three weeks. And if our records are correct, last Sunday in Sunday school was the highest Sunday attendance in July in at least the last two years. And I think that's directly attributed because all we did was call people and invite them to come. It was just that simple. You know, that's not all it is to it, but it still needs to happen. If we are truly committed to God's plan for missions, it's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the way we work. It's going to change the way we see the world and quite simply it's going to change the way you and I live every day. So how committed are you to God's plan when it comes to missions? You can answer that question by considering how often you take the opportunity to, to actually tell someone what you see and what you've seen and what you know. Tell them the story. Tell them your story. But Dr. Tony Evans says that the reason we aren't more active in missions and aren't more active in evangelism is because we've lost our concern for the lost. 
to be real honest, we really just don't care. We say we do. Oh, Jesus loves them. I love them. But we don't do anything about it. We've lost it. And we've got to gain that back. I believe, this is just my own personal thoughts, I believe we have become a very apathetic church and a very apathetic society. And between apathy and tolerance, the church is dying. That's just what I believe. And that's us. That's, that's not the people in here. That's us that have gotten that way. Here's, there's one good thing about apathy. And you might have to think about You'll Bob might get this one real fast. But you might have to think about this one. I had to think, like, it's kind of, it's funny to me after I thought about it. There's one nice thing about apathy. You don't have to exert yourself to show how sincere you are about it. So think about that one just a little while and you get it. The disciples gave up everything to follow Christ. They gave up their jobs. They gave up their families. They gave up their positions. They gave up everything to be on mission with Jesus. They committed their whole life to the cause of telling people the good news. They opened their mouth. They lived it. They said, they said it. They did it. And they, they set the example of what we should be. We simply say, I think we've kind of adapted this, this along with being average is, well, if I just have a willing spirit, then I'm good with God. No, I don't believe that at all. It's more. We're made for more than just a willing spirit. We got to do. And that's what missions is about. It's about doing. How many of you have a, what you call a den or a family room in your house? Few of you do. Okay. Would I be accurate in saying that if some, you might, your den may be full of stuff so you don't actually get to use it. But if you, don't you, do you spend most of your time in the den or the family room? Isn't that a, a well-used room? Would that be a pretty accurate description? Yeah. Uh, you might have a great room. You might, you might have, I don't some other funny name for it. How many of you have a formal living room? How much living goes on in your formal living room? I have one in Tennessee. We have one in Tennessee. And we probably should have just named it the visit room because we didn't really ever go in it very much. You know, not a whole lot of living took place in what we call the living room. So the living room is in the house, but it really isn't in the life of the house. It's not where we actually live because most folks spend their time in their den or their great room or their family room or some of us spend more time in the kitchen than we should or maybe in the bedroom or bathroom or whatever your particular room is. There's lots of rooms to choose from, but we don't spend time in the living room. For many people, God is in the house, but he's been relegated to the room in our house reserved for special occasions. He's only allowed in the living room where no living takes place. He's not allowed to be in the places where we actually live our lives. We've got that special little corner for him. He's not at the center. He's not in the den. He's not in the family room. He's not where life takes place. He's over here somewhere. And we like to say that Jesus and God is in the center of our life and when in actuality, if we were to pay attention to our life, he's really not. He's over in a relegated place and we bring him out when we're ready for him and then we stick him back over there. Being committed to God's plan, being globally focused is dependent on God truly being the center of your life and my life. If he's not, we'll never get there. We'll never reach a lost and dying world if he's not the center of us first. That, and by the way, revival's next week. That's what revival's about. 
is a renewal to ensure and make that God is the very center of who I am and how I live and what I do and think and say. Revival's for you and me. I hope you're coming. It's going to be a really, really good week, so I hope you're coming. Fourthly, to become globally focused, we have to follow God's pattern. Now, the plan is simple. He's told us not only how to go, but he's actually told us where to go. You realize that in these verses, when they, when they were spoken, when these words were spoken, Jesus and the disciples were in Jerusalem when they were said. So it made a lot of sense when Jesus said, go next door. That's basically what he said. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, or paraphrased, next door, <laughs> across the street, you know, right here where you are. There's a saying that says the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And so we must ask ourselves, how brightly is our light shining where we are? Not just as a church in Pelham, Helena, Alabaster, although that's immensely important, but how bright is the light of Christ shining where you are every day? Because it's individual. The relationship with God is not, my relationship with God is not pertinent on Peggy and Bob. That's not where, it's, it's mine with him. It's yours with him. And how, my, how brightly my light shine is not dependent on them. It's dependent on my relationship with God. And that's where we need to be. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to actually start at home. We know we do missions all over the place. We, I got that. But what I am suggesting is that in order to be globally focused, we have to be balanced in our efforts. If Jesus himself gave four areas of description of where we need to be missional, then we need to be doing it in all four areas. And I would venture to say that most churches neglect it most in Jerusalem, at home. And so it was really kind of cool to see what we actually got to do at home this year. And you know what? It worked. You know why it worked? Because God called us to do it. And we just tried to be obedient. That's why it works. You know, will we do that every year? I don't know. Whatever God says so, we will. I don't, he's not saying that right now. But we still need to be 24-7, 365. We got to be doing this at home. So what is Jerusalem? Well, obviously, Jerusalem is your neighbor next door. It's the teller at the bank. It's the clerk at the grocery store. It's the waitress at the restaurant, it's Pelham, Helena, Alabaster and the surrounding area. You realize that 63.5% of Shelby County do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And 83% of the county don't go to church anywhere. They're not even in an environment to experience that. There's a lot of work to do. You realize we live in like the richest county in the state one of, if not the, and by far the least, what I would say, spiritual in the state. And you think about that, I've got everything the world has to offer. I don't really need God, you know. But God wants me, and he wants me and you to be on missions with him. We need to become a church that not only prays for missions, gives to missions, and goes on trips. More than anything, if we are to be the church God intends us to be, we have to be doing missions at home. And missions is not, as I said, a five-day trip that we do once every two or three years. Missions is what we do every day. Do you know Sunday school is missions? Really? What's the purpose of Sunday school? 
Come on, David, tell me. Reach people. If you've been an adult Sunday school teacher, you've heard me say it for two years. Reach people is our purpose. Doesn't reaching people sound pretty missional? (laughs) Yeah, it does. Everything we do is missions because if we're on the great, we're doing the great commission, we're on missions. It's our life. It's not just when we go to Africa or Pelham, Helena, Alabaster or New Orleans. It's everything we do. To be on missions with God is all the time. What is Judea? Probably the easiest one, and you'll see these concentric circles as they build out. Judea is Alabama. Lots of needs just in our own state that we could meet if we would decide to do them. We would start and, and, and be doing Pelham, Helena, Alabaster, Shelby County. We would expand that into Alabama. Samaria would be the United States. It would expand out to that. Do you realize that there's people in our own country that have never heard about Jesus Christ? In the United States of America. Do you realize there are churches in other countries sending missionaries to America because of the moral decay that's happened here? And they see it and we talk about it. Oh, we've fallen so far away from God. You know, we've fallen away from God. What are we going to do? You know what to do. (laughs) We need to quit saying what do we need to do. We know what to do. Be missions. Do missions. Speak missions. Tell them about the love of Christ. That's what you do to fix it. You don't wallow in it and wonder. We know. At least we claim to know. We got to do. It just amazes me to think that these people are coming here and they care enough about this country and about the kingdom of God to come here to try to help change what's going on here. But we living in what I still consider the greatest country on the world don't seem to really care too much. We want to go somewhere else. We need to do it where we are. What are the uttermost parts? That's real easy. It's the world. Standard Oil Company once had a slogan that the church should try to revive. It said, get the light to every dark corner of the world. That's a pretty good thing. You know, there's dark corners right over there and right over there and across there. And you don't have to go very far before you see a dark corner. And we need to be sharing the light there. This is exactly what God has called us to do. And we must not, shall not, we dare not neglect to do it. I believe if we don't, the judgment of God will fall. And we cannot imagine. There will come a day when our somebody else will do it will cost us dearly. I really do. And the greatest thing it's going to cost is people are going to go to hell because we didn't tell them. And that's a great cost that we should never be willing to pay. So what does it mean practically for us to be globally focused at FBCP? Well, you've seen signs all over the church that say uh, GFS, it's coming. And it's been kind of funny the last couple of weeks as I've had folks walk up and say, what's GFS? I'll tell you later. And that's pretty much been my standard reply. I'll tell you later. Last week I started saying, I'll tell you next week. So, so they would know. GFS stands for Global Focus Seminar. And on August the 22nd and 23rd, we are joining with an organization called Global Focus as well as another organization called Mobilization Resources to begin training our people and our church in how to be a global focus church from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, 
and the uttermost ends of the world. If you could see the things that had happened in many other churches that decided and came to grips and understanding that they needed to be on missions in all four areas, if you could see the things God is doing in those churches that have caught that and they understand that Sunday school is missions and discipleship is missions and worship is missions and what we do every day is missions, it's all missions because it's all about reaching people. It would astound you what you'd see. Um, and so on the 22nd and 23rd, we're going to be doing uh, a training conference here with these two organizations. Our staff is going to participate in it, um, and we want anyone else that would like to participate in it to block that day off. Now, I'm going to tell you already, Pelham High School and Thompson High School play football that Friday night. I'm going to be a little bold. Is one person going to go to heaven because of a football game? Not trying to knock football. If you see my office, you know I like football. But it's not eternal in the least little bit. It's a game. And I know it's big. I get that. But just so you know, I've already looked. <laughs> Actually, my wife looked and told me. I was like, oh, dead gummy. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, but the staff has, is going to go through this training. Uh, and the training is going to focus on God's mission in the world. It's going to focus on the world itself. It's going to focus on the role that we play in it. It's also going to take some time to help us see and understand some strategies and how we become a globally focused church. Now, a few months ago, John Lamb, who's the uh, chairman of our missions committee, and I actually went to this training at Shades Mountain up in Birmingham. Uh, and I'm telling you, when we finished, I, we could talk all day about what, what we experienced. It was, it was life-changing for us to go and see. But the impression we got was so strong that this needed to be brought back to First Baptist Church Pelham. We just, and to this day, that's what we feel. It just ties in so well with who we already are and claiming to be a missions-minded church, but now we're going to be more than average, <laughs> you know. We're going to step it up a notch. And I do want to tell you that that training on Friday and Saturday, it's pretty intense. And I don't, I want to say this nicely, but I need you to understand if this is something you want to be a part of, the expectation is you're here for all of it. Nothing can get in the way. You've got to block about three hours off on Friday night and most of the day on Saturday to do this. And but I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. We were just in awe the whole time. But we want you, the, the whole staff's going through it. We've, uh, John came and made a presentation to, I think Matt was the only one that was unable to be in our, in our meeting. But I'm telling you, those, we were unanimous. This is exactly what we need to do. And there was a little bit of skepticism going into it. I don't mind telling you that. But after seeing it, it was so obvious that it fit who we are. It can enhance what we do, that we could be missional in everything we do, not just when we go to Africa or when we go to New Orleans, but in everything we do as a church, we become a globally focused missions church in reaching a lost world. It just absolutely blew us away. And so we're going to do the training August the 22nd and 23rd, and we're going to try to build that schedule this week, so you'll see that coming out. The cost on it is $50. That's going to provide a couple of meals and your materials. The conference itself has been paid for already. And so you know, you're not giving money to pay for the conference. Someone's already donated that. That's been done, but we do need to pay for our materials and stuff. But we want you to be a part. So if you're serious about missions and you want to be on board, we need you. We've got teams. There'll be, when it's all done, there'll be teams that help us coordinate Jerusalem. There'll be teams that help us coordinate Judea and Samaria and the other ends. 
it's very, very strategic and put together well, and it just absolutely does incredible things in the life of, its, of people as well as in the life of the church. So you'll see that coming in the next week or so, and I hope that you will, you will consider being a part. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, something that we can't even imagine what God's going to do with it. Now, we'll tell you this in conclusion. If you want to know how God's planning to reach a lost world, when you get home sometime today, go look in the mirror, and you'll have your answer. There is not a plan B. Um, there's no, no, nothing else. Jesus Christ is the only true universal need in the world. He's the need for the communist. He's the need for the capitalist. He's the need for the Republican. He's the need for the Democrat. He's the need for the American. He's the need for the Russian. He's the need for the rich. He's the need for the poor. The greatest need of every man, woman, and child alive today is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that's eternal. It's it. And if they don't have it, they don't have heaven. That's what they need. Our great God has no other plan, no other method, no other idea on how lost people are going to be reconciled to his son except that we take the saving message to people. That's the plan. There's an old song, a real old song. And the title of it is, You're the Only Jesus. I've probably sung it as a solo a hundred times. It's one of my favorite all-time songs, but it's old. <laughs> I've seen it since I was a teenager, I think. And the words of this song say, If not in you, I wonder where will they ever see the one who really cares. If not from you, how will they find the one that heals the broken heart and gives sight to the blind? If not in you, I wonder who will show them love, for love alone can make things new. If not from you, how will they learn there's one who will trade their hopelessness for joy in return? For you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in who is all they'll ever need, because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. And I like to add to that, you're the only Jesus some will ever hear. Because I believe with all my heart we have to open our mouth. We have to. If we're going to be globally focused, if we're going to do what the Word of God commands us to do, we must open our mouth. I miss opportunities every day, just like you. And we know it. I'm not proud of it, but I do. And we all need to be better. Being globally focused means understanding that we really are made for more and making a commitment to do all we can to make sure that when we are the only Jesus that some will ever see and some will ever hear, that our actions and our words reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So my challenge for all of us, including me today, is that we decide to join together as the body of Christ to do all we can 
to fulfill the great commission of a great God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we've been given such a high call, though I must admit that it is often overwhelming. And I also admit that I fail very regularly to fulfill it. And so God, I ask you to forgive me. And Lord, I don't know where anyone in this room is with you with regards to sharing your love in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and around the world. I don't know where they are. I don't know if, I'm I'm sure there are people here that, that cast money to those things, and that's great. There are people that pray for those things, and that's great. We need to be doing that. But God, I think we would all confess that we miss opportunities to be the witness by saying what we know and what we've seen. And I pray during this time of commitment, God, that you might revive that in us as individuals, that you might revive that in us as a church, that the light shining from this place shines bright in this place like never before, spreading from here throughout the world. Thank you, God, for calling us to a great calling. May we be committed to fulfill it with all that we are, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning, I really don't know where you are. I know where I am. And I know what I need to be and what I need to do. And so I challenge you that same way. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know Christ as your Savior. Well, before you can come to understand anything I've talked about, you got to have that. And so maybe you need to come today and say, today is the day of salvation for me. I need this Savior who classifies me as his inheritance. So maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you've been visiting here for a while and you're looking for a church home. Well, I can tell you, this is a good one. And we would love, love, love to have you join us in ministry and missions here. Maybe you just got some things in your life that you've realized today are blocking you from being on mission with God and you want to get rid of those and just lay them on the altar. You may want someone to pray with you. Whatever your need is, we're going to take just a few minutes and give you an opportunity to make that decision this morning. Paula, we're going to sing what? Just as I am. Just as I am. Would you stand with me? If you need to make a decision today, this is your time. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.